Good evening, everybody. Can you all hear me? Just trying to test out the microphones. I know there's some issues here sometimes, so, all right. Um, so I received a prayer card at confirmation with the Footprints in the Sand poem. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that poem, and it reads, One night I dreamed a dream. I dreamed that I was along, the, along a beach with the Lord, and across the sky flashed scenes from my life. For each of these scenes, I noticed that there were two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one belonging to the Lord. When the last scene of my life flashed before us, I looked at the footprints in the sand, and I noticed that there were many times along the path of my life that there was only one set of footprints. I noticed also that this happened during the lowest and most troublesome times in my life. This really bothered me, so I questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said when I decided to follow you that you would be with me every step of the way. However, during the saddest and lowest times in my life, there was only one set of footprints. Why, at times when I needed you the most, would you leave me? The Lord replied and said, My precious, precious child, I love you, and I would never, ever leave you, especially during your times of trial and suffering. When you saw only one set of footprints, that is when I carried you. The Lord has shown me a lot of places of his footprints in the sand, the places where there's only one set. He reminds me when these are the times that not when he left me, but more importantly, these are the times when he carried me. So this is my story of me being carried by God in times when I needed him most and didn't think he was there. I was adopted from Seoul, South Korea 29 years ago by two wonderful parents. I um, was raised in a good Catholic home, good Catholic education, good moral upbringing, good extended family, and just had the wonderful blessings of a good life. However, during my school years, I developed a perspective that high achievement was necessary for me to be wanted and loved. I equated scholastic achievement and success with my value and self-worth. I always felt that I was loved, wanted, and proud of when I got the grade that I was supposed to, when I was achieving at my full potential. Now because of this, my idea of God and my relationship with him could be described as textbook, impersonal. I was a good Catholic. I went to church on Sundays, uh, received all the sacrament, went to Catholic grade schools. I knew all my prayers. However, my idea, I equated my relationship with God in terms of accomplishments and, and failures. If I was good, meaning I achieved high grades like I was supposed to, I was in good graces with God and he would love me. However, if I missed the mark, if I fail means that I failed to use the gifts that he gave me and I disappointed him. It was a very foreign concept to me that God could be a loving, merciful father figure and instead he was just a judge who kept track of everything that I did right and wrong. When I started college at the University of Minnesota in 2005, I was pre-med with plans towards neurosurgery. There was one small problem with that plan. It was my plan and not God's. 
He had much bigger and better plans for me, had I been willing to listen. And since I wasn't listening, he had to get my attention in a very big way, like failing chemistry. Now, uh, <laughs> that was a big way. <laughs> for the first time, I had no direction and no idea, no purpose, no, no future. I, I was completely, I felt lost, alone, devastated, and I felt very, I felt like God had abandoned me. Um, and because I, I, and yet, all, all that being said, I knew that I needed to turn to him for direction. But I turned to him because I knew it was the right thing to do, but it was a sense, out of a, only a sense of obligation. Uh, I w went back to church on Sundays, I started praying the rosary again, reading the Bible, but again, these were actions out of a sense of obligation, because my good Catholic education, turning to God in times of trouble, it just kicked into autopilot, and I went through the motions passively. I was still resisting God taking a personal control of my life, and I didn't feel that personal connection. But it was because I was wanting God to come to me without me even bothering to leave the door of my heart open for Him. I started praying more, but my prayers were talking at God instead of me listening to Him. And I wanted, basically what I wanted was I wanted him to take care of me without me having to invest anything into our relationship whatsoever so I could, re, so I could re, go back to achieving and have my self-worth again. Thankfully, God is very merciful, even with a very hard-headed individual like me. And he showed me a new area of study, the law. He must have been smiling <laughs> as I quickly absorbed and lived and breathed this new area of study. Um, my identity, though, as who I thought I was, was still shaken because I had to overcome the idea that I had failed at pre-med and was now settling on my backup plan. Instead, the reality was that the Lord was guiding my path and this had been his, his plan the entire time. I went on to graduate from the University of Minnesota with Latin honors and then got accepted at the University of St. Thomas School of Law in Minneapolis. I knew that law school would be a new start for me and I wanted the time to be a new start for my relationship with God as well. And after spending three and a half years on a college campus, secular college campus, I wanted to start off a professional career as a lawyer right with good solid Catholic education with teachings, values, and traditions. There was even a chapel in the building which with daily mass, and I eagerly took advantage of that on a consistent basis. I had all my ingredients to check off my list of what it would take to be a good Catholic lawyer. However, um, even though I had this desire to deepen my relationship with Christ, I, st I still wanted that on, on my terms. I still wasn't willing to actively seek him for his will for my life. And yet God, he has his ways and he was gonna give me a chance to rely on him in a whole new way. Um, I thought because things were going well, everything was just moving along swimmingly, that I must be doing God, God's will. I must be walking with him. 
And it was that perspective that really made things even harder um, because the next part was about to get radically out of my control. In November of 2008, during my first year in law school, I started to develop shaking and tremors. Um, these tremors would, would, I would shake uncontrollably and unpredictably. They would concentrate themselves mostly in my right arm, but sometimes manifest themselves in my neck and whole upper torso. Furthermore, I started to also experience panic attacks, where I would have difficulty breathing, and many times this would be combined with the shaking. I saw doctors, and according to the medical tests, everything was perfectly medically normal. Thank God. The tremors and panic attacks were simply a manifestation of anxiety. Great. Now what? Simple solution, they said. Try to reduce your stress and your caffeine intake. <laughs> God really does have a sense of humor sometimes, doesn't he? How in the world was I supposed to reduce my stress and caffeine intake during law school with finals right around the corner? The tremors and panic attacks were my constant distracting companions and it became, it was greatly impacting my ability to study and focus. I had no way to control this and looking back, I know I was meant to give this to my Heavenly Father. I know he wanted me to start equating my identity not with academic success, but as a, a child of the King. He wanted me to stop relying on my ability to handle things and turn this over to him so that he could carry it for me. But I was too scared and embarrassed at this very obvious and outward new problem. I viewed it as a punishment of something that I was doing wrong. I was broken. I was broken, <laughs> like this microphone. <laughs> I thought I could control and fix all this on my own. And because of, but because of my need for control, and not wanting to admit how broken that I really was, I was trying to put myself back together by creating this facade that I was fine, I had it all together, and instead of just surrendering. I did seek professional help, which turned out to be an adventure in and of itself for me. I had one doctor tell me that I could control the shaking. Yeah, that really wasn't working. <laughs> I decided to talk, though, to a priest who happened to be one of our professors. He was a really fun, energetic um, professor who just really made everything come alive in the classroom. So I, I definitely was very friendly with him and, and, and warm. For the first time, he told me I heard, I heard something that this wasn't my fault. It wasn't something I could do to make better on my own. You see, I had kept telling myself that I could control the shaking and the panic and that the continuation of this must be my fault. I believed that if I focused in a certain way, the tremors would dissipate for a while. And then these minor victories only added to the cycle that this was my problem, something that I could fix. And because the tremors seemed to strike at random times and inopportune times, I was constantly self-conscious about how I was being perceived. I was trying to hide the shaking by putting up this facade that I had everything under control, nothing was wrong, and in reality, I was struggling constantly and hanging on by a virtual thread.
Father Witt told me I shouldn't be afraid of it being out of my control, and it was okay to get help via modern medicine, even with a different doctor. Father Witt was the first person to pinpoint the underlying cause of my tremors and panic attacks. He reiterated to me in a way that I needed to hear, law school's tough, and it's okay to have problems. It's a pressure cooker. I didn't need to be perfect. It was okay to be broken. I didn't have to be the best. If I didn't achieve top grades in law school, that didn't make me a failure. It was exactly what I needed to hear, and I'm so grateful for Father Witt for helping, for helping me. It was the first time that I'd ever heard that. He helped me see that the more I could separate my self-worth in terms of successes and failures, the less the tremors and the panic attacks would manifest. As I look back, Father had planted that first seed that I needed that was necessary for me to begin healing. Now, during the summer of 2009, I started dating a wonderful man who I now call my husband. Um, up to this point, I had a few long-term relationships, but none of which meant really anything of any significance. When I started dating Kevin, um, I was lonely, I was dealing with depression and anxiety, and still panic attacks were still around. We'd known each other a little socially. Um, I actually turned him down the first time he asked me out. So that was a story for another time. <laughs> But I knew we were compatible on paper. Uh, religiously, intellectually, we shared similar interests. I was ready for a relationship, but I, emotionally and psychologically, I, I was scared and terrified. Because of where I was with depression and anxiety, I constantly felt like I was hiding who I was, guarding myself from getting hurt, from letting anybody in. I had been so used to being judged and weighed on the scale of accomplishments and comparisons, and I had been so used to putting up this facade to the world, and here was this guy, really nice guy, who just could see through that facade. And that was an extremely disarming feeling. <laughs> Kevin wasn't seeing me as I presumed that the world saw me in terms of accomplishments, successes, and failures. Instead, he saw me as Stephanie the person who wasn't being whose identity wasn't being defined by what she had or had not accomplished. Now, as wonderful and understanding as Kevin was, I was still constantly worried about how Kevin must be feeling for having to take care of me. I wanted to be better for him. I wanted to be perfect for him without the panic and without the tremors. I was still feeling unworthy of Kevin's affections and because the tremors and panic attacks were still present despite my constant best efforts to hide them. And even though I was still trying not to care about academic success anymore and trying to separate that from my identity, I still had to essentially rewire my brain, so to speak, that my successes or failures didn't constitute my identity, my worthwhileness, my ability to be loved. I was trying to discover who I was apart from these academic successes. But Kevin wasn't judging me. In fact, he wanted to know more. And best of all, he loved me in spite of my many, many, many imperfections. Kevin proposed and we planned our wedding. I graduated from law school. We got married in June 2012. and. 
We moved to Iowa and the tremors and panic attacks really manifested again. We eventually moved to Cedar Rapids. Um, the Lord continued to bless us here with a wonderful marriage, great friends and family here, wonderful church. And Kevin started attending an Opus Day men's group and uh, also helping to teach RCIA. But something was still missing for me. I had been I had enjoyed being able to attend almost daily Mass at the law school for three years, and I know this helped nurture and strengthen my fragile relationship with Christ, but I still hadn't been able to accept the fact that the tremors and the panic attacks of the past were an opportunity for me to grow in my relationship with Christ. I had still seen these imperfections as punishments of something that I was doing wrong. Now, due to logistics, it was not possible with work schedules at first to continue my practice of almost daily mass. And, and then I had, furthermore, I had no prayer life to speak of, to fill in the gap, so I began to feel more distant from God. My daily walk with Kevin had healed a number of the wounds that had been created over the years, especially regarding my feelings of worthwhileness and ability and what it means to be perfect. And I thought I had put enough of the past behind me to be able to move on and without medication that I'd been on since law school. About a year and a half, two years into our marriage, though, I, I soon started realizing that I was definitely not all right. I found myself picking fights with Kevin over non-issues, and these were not newlywed bickering. The panic attacks and tremors had started up again. And soon the old lies I had long buried started bubbling to the surface. That I wasn't good enough, that I needed to do more, I wasn't worthy of being loved, and I needed to be perfect. Not wanting to admit that I could still be broken, I tried to figure out what triggered this sudden resurgence of panic and tremors. I searched the web and found that they can be random or for no apparent reason. Great. For someone who's a control freak and needing meaningful answers to 99.9% .9 of things in life, this was not comforting at all. As much as I did not want to admit it, I was still broken, and this time there was going to be no way I could put myself back together. But this time I was done trying on my own. What I know I needed to do was to get back in touch with God on his terms this time. But it had to look different. It wasn't that I completely walked away from him. I still talked to him at church on Sundays. But I hadn't had a real conversation with him, where, much less one where I wasn't doing all the talking and not listening at all. Now was rock bottom, though. The tremors and panic attacks were occurring on almost a daily basis. And I could barely keep my mind focused on anything positive. Every small mistake or failure or setback throughout my day became amplified out of proportion and just represented another reason why God was continuing to punish me with tremors and panic attacks. I felt very distant and I thought that this could be, was my fault, that I had done something or not done something to cause the panic and tremors to reoccur. I'd also been trying to keep this from Kevin for the most part because I didn't want him to worry about me and as well as the still fact that I thought I could fix this again. But I was tired now. In fact, I was exhausted. I felt like a balloon that had 
was deflated and had no air left in it, and the Energizer Bunny was not running on his battery. I was taking out my frustrations on Kevin by either lashing out on him or, or just withdrawing in, with, in, within me. And I was trying to hide this, the tremors and ignore the reoccurring thoughts of being a failure and unworthy of love. And I had recreated this facade to the world and to Kevin that I was all right. And at the same time, I, I just desperately needed help. So I decided to take the first step and ask for help, real help this time. And it came in the form of going back to confession. The most complete that I had ever done for a long time and confessing things that I had avoided in the past. I surrendered to God's mercy and placed it all in his hands. I needed confession because the, the lies that I had come to believe as truths as well as the panic, as well as the depression and anxiety that I had let take over were separating me from God and his plans for me. It was in the sacrament of confession that I could finally surrender those burdens that I had carried and made far too heavy. And God, my heavenly father and his loving mercy, caught me, picked me up, and carried me. He started my healing. Now for this healing process, I had to acknowledge and unbury and pa the panic and anxiety and each worry and each lie that I had told myself enough into believing. These truths that I had long buried, I had to look each of them square in the face and tell them for what they were, lies. Not being good enough, lie. Needing to be perfect, lie. God doesn't love me unless, lie. Needing to earn God's love, lie. I'm not worth being loved, lie. I'm broken beyond repair, lie. I needed to start looking each of these lies that I had embraced, buried, and lived with for so long and turn them into truths. I had to acknowledge my weaknesses and let God turn these into strengths for his glory. I had to surrender. First John chapter 4, verse 16 says, We have come to know and to believe in the love God has for us. God is love, and whoever remains in love remains in God and God in him. In this is love brought to perfection among us, that we have the confidence on the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And so one who fears is not yet perfect in love. God loves us even when we turn our backs on him. And he wants us to seek us, seek him. And not only does God love and God is love, God loves unconditionally. And I don't lose God's love or mercy when I fail him. As we read in Romans, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't love me because of my accomplishments or achievements or how many sales I've made, how much money I make, or what kind of car I drive. 
He doesn't love me when my house is clean or I have the right weight or a certain degree. He loves me for me, very, very imperfect me. And he loved me before I was even created. And because God loves imperfect me, I don't have to lose hope or be fearful or beat myself up when I do fail, something I'm reminded of constantly. He wants us to come to him when we fail in the sacrament of reconciliation so we can receive his gift of forgiveness and the comfort that comes with that. We are able to lay down our burdens and have Christ lift the weight of our sins and have him wash them away through the sacrament of absolution. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful amazing, beautiful gift. He wants us to strive for perfection, but in a different way, an eternal way. I'm not judged or graded on my ability to achieve perfection because I won't ever achieve perfection in this life. But as close to perfection, striving for perfection is what God wants us to do. And my inevitable falls, mistakes, failures in an effort to achieve perfection doesn't make my God love me any less. Do you allow God to love you unconditionally? Visit him frequently in the Eucharist. Spend time with him in his presence and Eucharistic adoration and, and through the sacrament of confession. These steps will help you deepen your relationship with Christ for him to show you just how much he loves you without any strings attached. Now what I just described as me embracing these troops, I'm still in baby step mode. Some days I struggle with the lies more than I do the truth, and other days the truth is victorious. Physically, my anxiety and tremors are still around some days. I'm trying to have more daily conversations with God, two-way this time, with me doing more listening than talking. I'm also learning and sometimes relearning each day that the crosses of this life are not punishments from a stern, judgmental, distant God, but opportunities to let my Father, Savior, and friend help me carry the crosses of this life, if I let him. I have learned slowly that I don't have to let success or achievement or even depression or anxiety define my, my identity in Christ. We have a God who can relate to us in all circumstances of our lives, in both good times and during suffering. Hebrews chapter 4 says that, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been similarly tested in every way, and yet without sin. So let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace and timely help. God never leaves our side. Let him hold your hand and walk with you during the good times of your life. And especially, let your Father carry you during the hard times, knowing that he will never, never leave you. Thank you, everyone, for coming.